In today's episode of Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures, we discuss a song that I think we all hated when we first heard it, but we could not resist its charm. Because of the California sound that swept the nation. And my grade six class. This is Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures, Take On Fly by Super Ray. Or Sugar Ray. So one of the things we haven't discussed on this podcast is my intense crippling anxiety and imposter syndrome that I suffer from. I don't know if we've discussed it, but I feel like it's come through. Yeah, well, absolutely. And it comes through even more when we have guests on the show, because I always feel like you're auditioning them for my replacement. Uh, Why would you feel that? And how did you know? In case you haven't been able to discern, we have a guest on the show today who has brought a fantastic guilt-free pleasure song to us. Uh, so I want to welcome Caitlin Holmes and her... Caitlin Holmes. Caitlin? Caitlin. 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 Why, why? <laughs> <laughs> I, I could have told you that about a half hour ago. Yeah. You, I, why did I always know it was... <laughs> Probably because I just answer to it all the time. Because like you, I'm an imposter. Yeah. (laughs) Kaylin Holmes. Gotcha. (laughs) So we want to welcome Kaylin Holmes to the podcast. And she brought Sugar Ray's Fly to us today. Featuring Supercat. Featuring Supercat, yes. I love that I could hear the collective groan of a lot of listeners, and <laughs> I hope a couple fist pumps. It was audible, that groan. All right. So, Kaylin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bill. Uh, could you talk a no, bit? No, it's okay. I didn't introduce you at all. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, it's Bill like, and Frank. <laughs> it's like I'm not even here. You you did get my name wrong, so... <laughs> just, okay, only just... the first 12 times. <laughs> my favorite part of the, the research you did into our guest matches the research you've done onto this song. Well, she doesn't have a <laughs> Wikipedia page, so I don't know Yet? what I was expected to do. Kaylin, we had this great discussion about your pedigree as a podcast guest on a show about musicology. I don't want to talk about her stuff like that we're so highfalutin, but I do think what we're doing is... More important than just a pop culture thing. We're really kind of exploring the music that's made society in the last 30 years. Does that sound right, Frank? Yeah, I think it's more than just pop culture. It's popular culture. (laughs) I I feel like this is where I'm supposed to jump in and tell you. I'm the least qualified person to be on your podcast. So, Frank, there's no worry here about me (laughs) taking your position in this podcast seat. But I'll come back as a guest if, if this goes well today. Yeah, if I let you. <laughs> <laughs> Could you please tell us about the courses you took in university that set you up for this podcast? I took music and popular culture. Perfect. St. Catherine's own Terrence Cox. I have to reference him. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a poet 
and a, a professor at Brock University. I, <laughs> yeah, I you, feel. How did you do in that class? <laughs> well, the the long story is that I was driving to the exam and I at the gates to Brock, not the gates, but the entrance to Brock University, I just turned left instead of going in and did not go to the exam. So, and Terrence came up to me a year over a year later and was like, you failed my class. Why did you fail my class? (laughs) He was so nice about it. Of the like hundreds of students that were in his class, he remembered that I had failed and he made me feel really bad about it. As if I didn't feel bad enough already. (laughs) You were... At Brock University and just decided not to go to the exam. Yeah. So what it was about the course was obviously I liked music. Yeah. But I couldn't hear things in the songs that I was supposed to hear. Oh, okay. So this actually might make me qualified to be on this podcast, which is the technical stuff about music I find very difficult. Yeah, but we don't the understand the emotional it. part of it. I really understand. So she is my replacement, <laughs> what we're getting at. Welcome to Bill I... and Kaylin's Guilt-Free Pleasures. Thanks for coming on as a guest, Frank. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, well, we got lots of feels going on to Fly by Sugar Ray. Before we get into the whole history of Sugar Ray, there are two versions of this song. There is the Supercat version, although both Kayla and I have called it Sugar Cat about five or six times before we started. At least, yeah. And then there's the So fly. it doesn't feel so good getting someone's name wrong, does it? <laughs> no, it's terrible. Doesn't. Sorry, big <laughs> Supercat. So there's the fly with Supercat and the fly without Supercat. Do you think fly is fly without Supercat? No. No. I think the Supercat version is the superior version. Yeah. I don't know why they even bother to have the other version on the album. I would go so far to call him Superior Cat. <laughs> I'll tell you why they had the version without Supercat is because places like the shoe store I worked at could play Fly every day after breakfast at Tiffany's. And so this could then be played in all these other places that couldn't handle a toaster. Is it, It's called a toaster, or is it called toasting? What Supercat does? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I failed music and popular yeah. culture. <laughs> All right, I guess I failed <laughs> <on> music <laughs> and popular okay. culture. But I will tell you that how it makes me feel yeah. is toasty. <laughs> okay, well, good. So, would he be a toast master then? Is that his particular title? Is that like a type of person who just shows up at parties with like a wine glass and and gives a speech or a toaster? Yeah, and it doesn't matter what they're talking about. It's just how they hold the glass. Well, it does kind of feel like what he does in this song to some degree. But in the history of, say, ska and reggae, actually, I think it is in ska especially, that toasting, which is a Jamaican style of kind of rap speaking over things. Oh, okay. I hope I got this right. Anyways, that this Jamaican style of toasting, they call it, carried over into ska which is so in the english beat they had a guy who was like a toaster so one of the guys just toasts i keep calling it toaster i have a feeling i'm wrong but i think it's a great it's okay just just go with it i'm gonna just okay to be wrong so super cat yeah (laughs) (laughs) so super cat comes out of this tradition so on the wikipedia page that i made frank look up before we started they have him listed as like a dance hall legend is that right yeah super cat is considered uh, one of the greatest djs in the history of the Jamaican dance hall scene. Right. So they somehow were able to get him to come onto this track, even though 
at this point, Sugar Ray is not the thing. Yeah, Sugar Ray had like zero street cred at this point. So how they get someone who has cred, even street cred, how do they get him on this song? I don't know, but it happens. One word for you, Frank, money. They paid him? Yes, they, they paid him. I, this is how it this is how it goes. I'm, I'm sure he's made absolutely no money on this song because even though well, he's, he's not a songwriter, right? He should be because he clearly made up all these lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, but actually, we, let me check. He might be a songwriter on this because I feel like every member of Sugar Ray was listed as a songwriter. Yeah, he's actually one of the songwriters because his real name is, and I'm going to butcher this. I I know William Anthony uh, Marat. And he's listed as one of the songwriters on Song Facts. Oh, that's good. Well, okay. Well, good for you, Sugar Ray, because now the money's spread evenly. I know this is a big money maker because it gets played a lot. Well, yeah. Right? It's, and licensed. It's a safe 90s song. Yeah. This, uh, which is why it always played at the boot shop. That's right. Exactly. Should we dive into the history of Sugar Ray? Yeah, let's jump into it. Mark McGrath, born in 1968. Sure. Okay. Works for me. All right, so that's where it all begins in 1968. He's coming from Connecticut. Wait, seriously? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Is Connecticut near Hartford? Is Connecticut near California? No. No. It's not. <laughs> Connecticut is where Hallmark movies come from. Oh, oh really? perfect. Connecticut? Yeah, it, oh, it's yeah. East Coast, isn't it? Yeah, he's, he's, he's an East yeah. Coaster. He's a big Hartford Whalers fan, too. Oh, okay. Grew up playing hockey, watching hockey, and ended up moving over to California when he was like six or seven. And had to stop playing hockey because the nearest rink was like five hours away because Wayne Gretzky hadn't come to L.A. yet. That makes sense, yeah. Did he start playing basketball, though? Because I heard that he wanted to be in the NBA before he wanted to be a musician. Yes, he wanted to be a point guard. According to Mark McGrath, by grade five, he knew he wouldn't be a point guard. But he liked to surf. Okay, this is a kid who clearly has no focus. He wants to play hockey. He wants to play basketball. He wants to surf. What's next, Mark McGrath? Astronaut school? <laughs> oh, well, I, I think that's good because it also is it, it's also kind of reminiscent of what their what their band's all about. It's not a specific genre. That's true. Right? Yeah. Kind of all over the place. Yeah. Yes. Oh my goodness. And so even the way he got into this band, because we're starting with Mark McGrath because he ended up following this band and apparently volunteered to carry their equipment at parties. Oh, really? Yeah. Like he just... Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. He, he volunteered to... I don't remember the name of the band, but he... he Shrinky Dinks. Uh, yeah. That's what they were when he, start, when he was in oh, it. Oh, okay. But before yeah, yeah. that, there was another band and he was carrying their stuff so he could get into parties. <laughs> of course, because this sounds like Mark McGrath. Okay. I used to do <laughs> the exact same thing for my friend's bands when they would play gigs yeah in downtown st Catharines, just so i wouldn't have to pay the cover are those frosted tips you put on today frank <laughs> oh i okay can i admit to something i had frosted tips way later in my life than i ever should have i think you've already admitted to this uh, yeah caitlin has listened to our episode <laughs> Was it when you were doing an NSYNC song? We haven't done an NSYNC song yet. I'm trying to remember when I... I remember you bringing this up. Yeah. Either way. That's true. I was there. Did Mark McGrath have frosted tips? Because in my brain, I was also being like, oh, frosted tips. Like, that should have been a red flag, you know, from the beginning, considering the kind of cringy person that he became. But he had like a bleach streak. At least in the fly video. You're right. The frosted tips showed up in 1459. Which came out in 99. Yeah, so that was later. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was later. So maybe you're okay, Frank, because you had them in 2015. That's closer. <laughs> 1999. 2014, thank you. That's when I stopped frosting my tips. <laughs> 
All right, back to this. It's Who's okay, carrying? They're, they're back now. <laughs> are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frosted tips are coming back now. Sandy, yeah. if you're listening, I'm coming in for frosted tips again. <laughs> so he's carrying equipment for this band, and they had a guy in the band who refused to sing anything that wasn't from the late 60s and early 70s. And so Mark McGrath volunteered to sing an ACDC song when the other guy just refused to. So I guess it was at some party in California, and they put him up on the stage, and he sang, so to speak, this ACDC song. And when he was finished, he did a backflip into the pool. Oh, that's a cool move. And that's what kind of got him into the band, or at least when they broke up and came back together, they put him as a lead singer because at least he was kind of fun. Yeah, okay. And if you watch early uh, videos of Shrinky Dinks, which was their original name, you can see him doing ridiculous things on stage because he wanted to be Iggy Pop from the sounds of it. Gotcha. That makes sense. That tracks. So, Drinky Dinks is the band. They're playing around LA, same time as LA Guns and other bands, like kind of this sort of metal stuff. Yeah, this is in the 80s, right? So, like 88, 88 plus. Well, I I have 86. Oh, so they started 86. Which was the year I was born. Oh. That's why you picked this song. (laughs) Because the band formed the day you were born. So Shrinky Dinks play in LA, and they're mostly doing covers. They have two original songs. Yeah. One of the facts I read was the band started on a lie. They basically said to an exec at Atlantic Records, yeah, we have like a hundred original songs, and they only had two. Do you know the names of those two songs, Frank? No. This is tough for this podcast. One's called Lick Me, and the other one is called Caboose. And so Caboose is the one they made a video of. And the guy who made the video was a... A train aficionado. (gasps) Was it Rod Stewart? No, it was Mick G. Oh, the director. Yeah. Okay. He directed Charlie's Angels. Yeah. If not for Tommy Boy, Charlie's Angels might have been the best movie of the 90s. (laughs) Anyways, Mick G, big... You you were a big Chris Farley fan, weren't you? But I wouldn't be surprised if it was for Rod Stewart because, like... Mark McGrath is just this huge music nerd, right? And yeah. like yeah. everything that he does is just like a reference to, like, I'm sure we're going to get into this, yes. but he's yeah. a big referencer. He's yeah. just like a, a music nerd. Yeah. He just wants to be in the industry. His goal was to, I think, to just to be it, right? It's not like he started with, and he admits this, like raw talent. I'm sure we're definitely going to get into this. But when this song came to the band, he almost refused to do it. He almost quit the band because he couldn't sing. I mean, I guess we should go there because I could talk for another hour. About Shrinky Dinks. About Shrinky Dinks. <laughs> Anyways, he got threatened with a lawsuit, changed the name to Sugar Ray because yeah. apparently Mark McGrath likes boxing. Yes. According to pop-up video that I was watching. And surfing and hockey and basketball. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And being a frontman for a band. Yes. <laughs> and so they released an album that wasn't incredibly well received. And then... That as... was Brownies and Lemonade, right? Or Lemonade, oh, and, lemonade and Brownies. Lemonade and Brownies, yeah. It was pretty... Which, why aren't we serving that today here at the <laughs> podcast studio? Because I am a terrible baker. I should have brought the brownies. Sorry, I do make a mean brownie. Should we talk about Lemonade and Brownies before we get to this? You want to, like, because they have songs on there. Like, they were like a kind of hardcore punk yeah, like type of... New, new metal? New metal, oh, rap and metal. New? Yeah, yeah, this is yeah. almost proto-new metal, if I could put it out there. Yeah, because this would have been like 94, 95, something yeah, like that? Yeah, he's a big Rage Against Machine fan. Okay. So yeah. he's trying to do that thing. 95. So there's a song called Mean Machine on there. Yes. That Beavis and Butthead featured and gave it the thumbs up. Oh, really? Now, to us, the way I feel with Beavis and Butthead, that's a thumbs down to me, but they really like Beavis and Butthead are kind of the anti-guilt-free pleasures. Yeah. 
So Mean Machine was on there, and it did fairly well in Europe, mm-hmm. did terrible in the States. And they covered a song called Psychedelic Bee, which was Howard Stern's band from high school. They had a song called Psychedelic Bee, and they covered it, and then Howard Stern played it on his show. Oh, really? So they okay. made moves. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, they that's made good moves. smart. I also heard when they were trying to get a recording contract, and this is back in the Shrinky Dinks days, that... Studios didn't take unsolicited demo tapes or anything like that. So what they did was they would send pizza to yeah. the studio, like to the execs with their demo tapes in the pizza. And the video was in there for Caboose. Yeah. yeah. But what went terribly wrong is they actually baked it into the pizza so it would never play in any of the players. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great story. That's like, uh, what's that movie, Tokyo... Drift. No, (laughs) it's like Tokyo Rock or something like that. It's on Canopy, but they have all these kind of crazy hijinks to get their tape in to the record producer. Oh, okay. And I feel like that's one of them. So maybe Mark McGrath stole that from that movie that I can't remember the name of. Life Imitating Art or Art Imitating Life? Mark McGrath Imitating. Yeah. Art Imitating Life. (laughs) Mark McGrath Imitating an Artist. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, hey, okay. Full disclosure... Maybe I get. I'm getting kind of the vibe here. That you're not Mark McGrath fans. This guy was won over. I'm recovered. I'm a recovered Mark McGrath fan oh, because really? of doing the research for this podcast. When I was preparing for this podcast and starting to tell people that I was going to do it, like I was embarrassed, which I think is the point of the podcast. It's guilt-free pleasure, right? You're Wait, to be were you embarrassed to be on the podcast or embarrassed about the song? No, stoked to be on the podcast. <laughs> embarrassed to be talking about fly by sugar ray and part of that too is we haven't talked about this but part of the reason that i'm here is because i am the little sister of nathan holmes i would say that nathan holmes is the big sister of kathy holmes (laughs) (laughs) wait big brother sexist (laughs) and wrong in the same (laughs) well done frank Well, we introduced Nathan as Kaylin's brother oh, in previous okay. episodes, and okay. he said, you need to cut that. Got really angry, actually, yeah. throwing things. Like, all right, we'll cut it out. We'll cut it out. But when's your sister coming on? Yeah. And he said, I need to come on at least two more times, and then I'll let you. Yeah. And then he, he brokered this whole thing for He did me broker to be the deal. The you sent us a message that I never checked on Instagram for about four months, too. It turned oh, okay. out it was in one of those uh, files. I think he wanted me to go through him for the song like i think he wanted to first determine what song i was doing he wanted me to do len oh steal my sunshine Sunshine, yeah right which i think this song actually paves the way for potentially i'm not going to disagree no i think i I don't know what this chronology is though when does len come out Len came out, I was in second year university, so it would have come out late 97, early 98. Same time then. Yeah. Same Mm. time. They're swimming in the same ocean. Yeah. Yeah. There was that California sound that was sweeping the nation at the time, right? Yes. Well, sweeping Canada, really. Yes. Right? Because we, it's so exotic to us. Because in around the same time, you have Smash Mouth coming out. Sublime just released their last album. And this comes out of that whole ska revival of the mid-90s, I'm going to say, and that whole California sound. Mm Mm-hmm. That was sweeping the nation. Yeah. Well, definitely sweeping my grade six class. That's for sure. <laughs> this is great. I hated this song when I first heard it. It's going to come up later, I know. We're trying to get like, I'm trying to, it's tough talking chronologically about this. And I'm like, I, I remember hating this. Yeah. If Mark McGrath can't find a focus on what sport he's going to really dive into, 
which I think diving was one of them, <laughs> then, <laughs> then we don't have to necessarily be focused in the order that we go through this uh, episode. Okay. They toured Lemonades and Brownies, and I think they actually were at like this Edgefest 2 show that I was at yes, with Nathan. Right. No way. I think they were on the side stage. And people, I think I remember hearing people talk about how much this band sucked. <laughs> like, I remember people being angry about Sugar Ray. And it came up at, like, the next Edge Fest where they talked, to, like, someone on stage talked about Sugar Ray. Wasn't it Sloan? I thought so. I don't know if I have the wrong band. That explains so much. Yeah, I feel like Sugar Ray was out there then. But I might be, I might be wrong, but I, I feel like I'm not. And during the recording sessions for Fly, they, they were kind of, given this sort of order by Atlantic, you got to have a hit or this is the end. And they're coming up with songs. And the drummer, we didn't talk about who was in Sugar Ray at the time. No. Okay, let's talk about who's in Sugar Ray. There's a long list, but I don't know if all of them are in it like throughout every year. So the band that I have is obviously Mark McGrath. Then the lead guitar and ukulele oh, wow. would be Rodney Shepard. I don't know where the ukulele puts in, but bass would be Murphy Cargas. Sure, that makes sense to me. And then the drummer was Stan Frazier. Okay, so Stan Frazier is the one who brought this song in. Yes. So Stan Frazier brings in the chorus, and according to Mark McGrath, it was like, I just want to fly. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Something like that. And Mark McGrath is like, screw this, man. I'm quitting the band because I'm not doing this song. And he left. I think he had the imposter syndrome the same way I do because he didn't think that he could sing it. Yeah. Which he couldn't. <laughs> it's true. And he called his friend Mick G on the phone and says, I want to quit the band. This is a song called Fly. And Mick G says, you should work with it because what are you going to do, man? Work the door at this club or sell Quizno subs or something like are that. Are you going to work at Del Taco? Del Taco. <laughs> so each every time Mark McGrath gets a version of it, he just picks a place he doesn't want to work. Yeah. So McGee was the one who told him to go back. Okay. And he goes back, writes lyrics, which we will get to. I'm really looking forward to this. And he talked about getting into the studio and he knows it's their only shot because this is the only song that could possibly be a single on Floored, the album. Yes. And he said he got into the studio where you're all by yourself at the booth, the vocal booth, to sing. This is the most lonely place you can be. He hasn't spent time at my house, has he? (laughs) (laughs) The producer, David Kahn, who they chose because he produced Sublime. Apparently Mark McGrath, I think, might have been friends with the guys or really liked what they were doing. With Sublime? Yeah. Yeah, part of that California sound that was sweeping the nation. And my grade six class. And (laughs) Carolyn's grade six class. (laughs) Frank, do you want to know who else was Mark McGrath's friend? Who's that? Corn. Seriously? Yeah. Really? I know. This is is tough for me. There are so many intersections happening here. This is... (laughs) Layers. Layers. There are layers. So David Kahn pipes in. I guess you know when you kind of press the button to say, Hey, Mark, yeah, you have a bad voice. You can't sing, he says to him. Just so you know, you can't sing. But if you trust me, this is going to sell 2 million copies. Like, he jumped in on Pro Tools, the editing software, really early. So basically, this is a Pro Tools cut, the whole thing. Yeah. And so David Kahn said to him, what we need is your tone. Your tone is fine. Your voice isn't good. We're going to use your tone, and I'm going to show you how to do it. And what they did is they just did bits and pieces. So they didn't, he didn't sing the full song. He'd sing a bit. They'd cut it. Get him to sing the next bit, cut it, until he learned to 
sing. He oh, said, wow. you got to sing more like how you talk. We can get your tone. So Mark McGrath will say in interviews, no, no, I can't sing. I have a tone, but I can't sing. And you, when you hear live versions of this, he's not wrong, but he uses his voice and it works. Yeah. Which is okay. a big part about rock, or as I like to say, rock and hop. Rock and hop, see, uh, Kaylin and Frank is rock and roll mixed with hip hop. Gotcha. I was also going to ask, Pro Tools is like a an early auto-tune, I guess. It's the, isn't it the Mac program? We don't use Pro Tools because you have to pay for it. Yeah, exactly. We use Audacity. Yeah, because it's free. Thank you, Audacity. This show is brought to you by Audacity. Also, they pay us. <laughs> I love free software that pays us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, this song gets released to the world and does shockingly well. Not just shockingly well, pretty much goes to number one. But can't go to number one because it's not released as a physical single. That's right. Yes. So, but it's number one on pop radio for four weeks. Do you know what was number one at the time, though, on no. Billboard? One of your favorite songs, Frank. Breakfast at Tiffany's? No, the Candle in the Wind, the Princess Die version. Oh, that's goes right. Goes with all those plates you collect. <laughs> Which you've decorated this, this pub with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Frank's not a big monarchist. He's a big Dianist. All right, I'm going to read to you. You can cut this out, Frank. Things that Mark McGrath has said about Sugar Ray before Fly. Got like it. Like what they were as a band. He said, we had, this is in the 80s, we had long hair, and at that time was all sunset metal. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Poison, Bang Tango, LA Guns. We hadn't written any original songs, so that was our vibe back then. We were kind of like a crappy Hanoi Rocks meets a crappy Faster Pussycat with a whole lot of the Beastie Boys thrown in without any of the talent of those bands. So that's one. Then he says, a lot of our stuff earlier was punky, thrashy, almost rap rock. I was a huge fan of Rage Against the Machine. They were breaking at the time. Corn were friends of ours from Orange County. We were down-tuning and doing all that. We were an amalgamation of everything and a whole lot of nothing all at once. That is a lot of influences that I do not hear and fly at all. But this is it. What happened was, and he says, when you get signed to a label, they used to do this, where they trusted that the look of the band and the idea of it was important and that they would learn to play as time went on. So as they toured... It worked for me. Yeah. (laughs) They learned how to write better and to play better. Now, he, of course, attacks his own voice, but he said the others started to learn how to play guitar better, how to drum better, how to listen better. So when Fly was put together, this is a sound of a band starting to realize they could actually create something people would want to listen to. Yeah, okay. Did you want to listen to it when it first came out? Can we talk about this part? Do you remember where you were when you first heard this? So this would have come out in 97. Yes. June of 97, I think we said, right? So is at the tail end of my first year of university. I was a bit of a snob musically in that sense that I liked the song, but I refused to admit it. And I talked disparagingly about it in public. I think secretly I liked it, but it didn't fit the vibe that I was trying to portray at the time. Right. That makes sense. With or without a fedora. Oh, okay. Did you wear a fedora? No, I never. I think I talked about this. No, I talked about this uh, during the Cardigans episode with your brother. With swingers had come out and I had... Yes. I was wearing the shirts and the, the wallet chains and everything. And I had that vibe about me. So... I would have fit in with this. I had a Sloan haircut, so I was all in on Sloan and then really Genesis. But I kept talking about Sloan when people wouldn't accept Phil Collins. And I was 
just not on board with this because the music I liked from 92 to 95 did not match this. So the high school yeah. music we really liked yes. didn't match this. The indie rock, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't like the sort of sampling that was in there. I felt it was impure somehow. Yeah, I know, right? And I was angry about it and I hated it. And I would hear it like every day when I worked at the shoe store. I remember seeing the video and like, I hate these guys. These are dirt bags. Do you know why we hated them? They represented the guys at that time who were so much more popular than us. Yeah. But we could never be. Even in my grade six class. <laughs> there it is. And you heard it. <laughs> you heard it in your grade six class. Yeah. I, I'm not sure where I heard this song first, but I really associate it with the pool party. And that might be because of the music video that yes. we're going to talk about. But June 1997 would have been pool party season. So um, that might actually be true. But truly, it was the aesthetic of the, the boys in <laughs> grade six class this kind of like skate punk california look that was was sweeping the nation that was sweeping the nation and my grade six class frosted tips and bleached hair and all i can never hear sweeping the nation the same way ever again i hated it so much it just it also i felt like it brought in a wave we talked to dave kitchen about this he was saying it brought in all these things we kind of despised. Yeah. Third Eye Blind was also ascending at the same time. Yes. And I kind of hated it too. Man, there's so much. Was Santa Monica out there by um, Everclear? That's not the band, is it? Yeah. 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 I feel like it you just... You hated Big Shiny Tunes too. This is basically oh, all I'm hearing. I know. Yeah. <laughs> is, I, I just like l- lamenting the loss of whatever I thought was pure. The band Pure, maybe, too, but I lamented it all. It represented everything I hated about what was going on. I'm a different generation than you guys. So, like, what you're talking about, how how much you hated it, that that has everything to do with the conflicting feelings I have about this song. Because I grew up in the shadow of my older brothers. Speaking of me being unqualified to listen to this song have quote unquote good taste in music, right? So everybody who knows my brothers seems to think that I also have inherited these genes of good taste and intelligent way of speaking about music, but I don't. (laughs) Which is why you're on this podcast. (laughs) Right. So I could say that I didn't like this song or don't like this song, but I I do like it. And for me to say that I do like this song is like taking back that time (laughs) from my brothers when they were like, no, you should listen to Sloan, which also I love Sloan. So that's, it's fine. But at that time, Nathan would have been coming at me with, why are you listening to this music? Why are you listening to 102.1? Because at the time, he had the radio show up on Brock Radio too, that's right? That's trash. <laughs> that's trash. That was the name of the, the that show, That was the right? name of the show, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> there was a moment in Nathan's life, though, and this is why Guilty Pleasures kind of exist, where he's like, he was really cool. He's Chris Newkirk cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was a moment when he just said, you know what? I just heard Stop by the Spice Girls, and that song is great. And what am I doing trying so hard on all these all these, all these other indie tunes? This is a good song, and just accept it yep. and enjoy it. And there was this sort of like letting go of any sort of pretense that music had to be a certain way. Spice Girls would have been also totally on my radar at this time. Like oh, at, yeah, at yeah. that age, great, in grade six or grade seven, whatever it was, like... Mark McGrath, I had like no sense of what my musical styling was, right? Like I was still trying to figure that out. So I had, you know, Deanna Carter's country album. I had uh, The Proclaimers was the first CD I ever bought. Sunshine on Leith. 
<laughs> yes. Sorry. I mean, yeah, I, that's what I heard it was. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know. I didn't have any style at the time. Music just came to you, right? Whatever you heard on the radio, you just take in. That's right. We talked about back this. in the day when you used to listen to the radio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you had no choice but to listen to what was being played, and that developed what style you had right or lack of style because you just kind of took everything in my first cd was mariah carey by mariah carey at the same time that's a great oh it's a great album but at the same time i'm starting to get into indie rock but no mariah carey that's it that was that was my first cd i i think this song would have played like you said you you went to edge fest so it would have played on 102.1 yes but also probably 99.9 yeah it's a utility song yeah Yeah. oh what's a utility song a song that can be uh played in lots of different places so it's sort of like shaquille o'neal who's cool with everyone from your grandma to like your kid brother to like the cool guy in class yeah everyone loves shaquille o'neal and so with sugar ray it was safe everywhere it went because you could have the version with Supercat, or you can have the the non-supercat. The non-supercat version. The superless cat version. I have to say, I held the candle of hatred to Sugar Ray all through uh, like the last 30 years. And then when you sent the email to us about doing this song, I was like, oh man, this ah, I hate this song. This is a good idea though. And he wrote a couple things about what happened to his mom. I'm like, all right, that's kind of funny. We're going to look into that. This would be really good. I don't know if I want to do this song. Like, I'll listen to it. I'll listen to it again. I like this song. This is a good song. Honestly, I haven't thought about the song in over 20 years. But like Bill said, when this got brought to the table, she's like, okay, I guess I'm going to listen to it. It holds because it has that particular space in history where that sound was sweeping the nation. (laughs) Are we ready to dive into the song? The lyrics and all that stuff? Is there any more to talk about? I don't know if you want to, if you came across this interview with Mark or or not, when he was talking about lyrics. You did. Is that what that eyebrow Mm. movement meant? Mm -hmm. That the the fan, the podcast fans can't hear? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let me try this. Mm -hmm. Okay, now they can hear the eyebrows. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's one eyebrow. (laughs) (laughs) This was really helpful for me when I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I have to do some lyrical analysis. But what Mark McGrath has said about lyrics is, lyrics, if they just give you the emotion, don't worry about the literal meaning. They don't exist. But if there's a feeling that exists, that's all that matters. So what he's saying here is, like, the lyrics don't matter. Don't take them literally. It's just the feeling that they give you. He is speaking my language right now. Yeah. So we're going to do a lyrical analysis now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he also said the song belongs to the masses after you give it to them. So he talked about trying to tell someone what it meant to him. And they would cry because like, no, no, I thought it was about my mom or about this. He's like, all right, this is now the people's song. It's not mine anymore. It's their interpretation of what his lyrics are, right? No, it means you can play the song on your podcast and not be sued. Because it's our song, right? Gotcha. Perfect. Like, he did say that the drummer brings him, I just want to fly, put your arms around me, baby, gives the chorus. He gives the verses. And neither of them talk to each other about what the song meant. <laughs> so they just like, that's fine. And so that's awesome. I, and there's no way anyone talked to Supercat about what the song meant. Yeah. He just did his own thing around it. So Supercat is dancing around the song, which is what it's supposed to be. Yeah. He's just... Going around, whatever he wants to feel it is, he's going to say whatever comes to his mind. Not to diminish it at all, because Supercat is the icing on the cake. Well, it is. 
All nice and decent, slip with the crew. This is Mr. Cat and Sugar Ray riding through. Why me I tell a man she have me intoxicated? But I love high man like a genie. But I call me the fly. So me I say a virgin to me. I beg her baby the first try. So the water come out. Supercat really does make the song. Yeah. But Supercat, there's no way he talked to Mark McGrath. I'm assuming they didn't meet each other till the vi- video shoot. <laughs> so, <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mark McGrath didn't talk to the drummer about the song's meaning. Yeah. So there's three different interpretations totally. of what the song could mean. And then they go even a step further. Mark McGrath is angry about the song, but clearly when he wrote the lyrics, he just started grabbing lyrics from songs he liked or was listening to. And I got all the songs here today. Okay. And we're going to listen to them all on this three-hour episode. You got <laughs> it. <laughs> we're going to work through them. Feel free pleasure. Yeah. So let's walk through. I mean, this is a tricky part. I think we all feel kind of intimidated trying to talk about Supercat because I'm no... Yeah. One is like depending on what site you're on to see what he's saying or like what is he getting yeah. at and i think it doesn't matter so much as there's a feel there to super cat yeah and what it is what it is is the feel and the emotion yeah and so that beginning where he just just jumps oh around. he jumps right in both feet deep end all nice and easy slip of the curl wait did you say sleep with the girl slip of the curl oh i, I don't know i i'm just looking at the genius.com here gotcha. i didn't know i didn't matter Slip of the Curl is a surf thing, so maybe he did talk to Mark McGrath. Oh, yeah. I actually don't know if it's a surf thing. Mark McGrath said he likes surfing, but not crazy surfing. He likes surfing where his beginners surfing are around, then he'll surf. Like the kind I did. There's a lot he said that just cut it out of the lyrics I have here. But let's jump to the lyrics we can't understand. All around the world, statues crumble for me. This is a line from a killing joke song called Sanity. There it is. The first line is, all yeah. across the world, statues crumble. So he just took the line right from Killing Joke. Yeah. Then he admitted to it, too. So how many songs did he rip off for this song? Well, now we're getting into my analysis. Okay, yeah. that's line one from Killing Joke. Line two, who knows how long I loved you? All right, you two. Are you ready? Ready, Bill. Are you? Who knows how long I've loved you? I Will by the Beatles. Oh, White yeah. Owl. Alison Krauss is a great version. Oh, right. Yeah. So yeah. who knows how long I loved you is straight from the Beatles, I Will. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And then the next line is, everywhere I go, people stop and they see. 25 years old, my mother, God rest her soul. Now, just picture this. None of these lyrics match up to each other, right? Like, they're all over the place. And then suddenly, it's talking about his mom. 25 years old, my mother, God rest her soul. We know where this is coming from, right? Gilbert O'Sullivan. Frank, have you heard this song? I think that I have, yeah. But Gilbert says, at 65 years old, <laughs> my mother, God rest her soul. And he's, he's talking about her, whereas with all of these lines mark mcgrath is centering himself right so yeah, he's yeah, going yeah. all around the world statues crumble that's the line in the original song yeah, he yeah. Says, for me and then who knows how long i've loved you that's the actual line from the song mm-hmm. right and then everywhere i go people stop and they see so they're seeing at least my interpretation would be they're seeing me at 25 years old and i'm this like tragic 25 year old orphan 
Bill had initially told me that Katriana here was going to be on the podcast. <laughs> that was the line that you had texted him. 25 years old, my mother, God rest her soul. It's like, was his mom really dead at 25 years old? Yes, like, yeah. That's, that the question, the, that's the question, right? right? Yeah. Which I didn't find the answer to and still, until I started researching for this podcast. I've just spent my whole <laughs> life, thinking. Child- life thinking. Childhood, yeah, that... that- Poor Mark McGrath. I don't know if I believed it, but I, I, for the song, I believed it. Yeah. It made him more of a lovable character because of the whole, like, things yeah. that he did that you could, like, oh, well, he doesn't, his mother passed away early. Yeah. But he just took it from a line from that song, which <laughs> I hated this. I listened, like, wow, this song is awful. It was six weeks, number one, in yeah. 1972, Bonkers, which also tells right? you how bad the music was in 1972. Yeah. What a lost culture. You come out of the 60s, and you got all, all this music, and they talk about Woodstock and all this stuff. And this is a song that's six weeks at number one. Yeah, because all the musicians went corporate at that point. <laughs> <laughs> She passed away. I cried and cried all day, alone again, naturally. So Alone Again Naturally is an interesting choice, which might make Mark McGrath, if I can quote Taylor Swift, so metal. Also, that's like the worst thing I've read this week, is that Taylor Swift described her current boyfriend as so metal for referring to her on a podcast like this is the worst thing i've ever heard the term metal do we not like taylor swift i thought i did but then she called him so metal like that's stupid i love that that's what you hate taylor swift yeah, for yeah. the metal thing gilbert o'sullivan here's the interesting thing with gilbert o'sullivan biz Marquis used the song alone again naturally as a sample and it was for a, which one as a song called i think it was called alone again naturally oh. it might have been <laughs> And then he got sued by... Gilbert O'Sullivan? Yeah. Or it was the company, because it was really weird, because Gilbert O'Sullivan said he gave the publishing rights to his company. I was reading up on it, and he was on the stand saying that he did not give permission to Biz Marquis for using the song, because Biz Marquis rightfully saw it as a funny song and made fun of it and talked about being alone again naturally. And so... It's a famous lawsuit because Bismarcky lost, and that meant every sample used in a rap song That's right. had to be oh, yeah. cleared. And so that was from Gilbert O'Sullivan, who, according to Celebrity Net Worth, is worth $20 million. Wow. I've never heard of him until the research. No, exactly, this. right? Oh, man. So now I dislike him, but I also want to have his money, so I kind of want to be him. How did Mark McGrath come across? Gilbert O'Sullivan is what I need to know. This is the thing. Okay, this is bonkers. The number of songs that he's bringing in, from the genres that he's bringing in, and this goes back to his being a giant music nerd. Yeah. He won three times on Rock and Roll Jeopardy. Like, I know the band is Sugar Ray, but it's hard to talk about Sugar Ray without focusing in on Mark McGrath and his crazy Frosted Tips. But, like... Those unforgettable Frosted Tips. That, that influenced That influenced it in, Frank's It influenced me in my 30s to frost my tips, finally. <laughs> So speaking of like other references though, like, uh, and, and the diversity of those references, I also read that every morning was a reference to this song called Suavecito <laughs> by, by Melo, which everyone should give a listen to, or if we, wow. if we don't know it, I feel like I'm 
this is why I failed music and popular culture. I don't know what references people are going to know or not. That's <laughs> yeah. you got Frank and I are stumped right now. <laughs> yeah. And another one, Hugh Mas Masekela's Grazing in the Grass. And they're both like nice songs, actually. I think that despite the fact he claims he listens to Rage Against the Machine and he's friends with Korn, mm-hmm. he's listening to Gilbert O'Sullivan, which yeah. is insane. Yeah. I would never have listened to this ever in my life. His never. parents his parents had that album that has to be yeah. – because this is 100%. before this is before children who are listening to this podcast, <laughs> peer-to-peer sharing and Napster, right? Like, yeah. Which we yeah. maybe will talk about later in the, in the podcast. Yeah. But this is before you – like – YouTube and all that. So where is he listening to this? It's probably his parents' record collection. I think we all agree. I kind of, that verse one is just an amalgamation of things and you take what you will from it. I find it kind of endearing that he's just choosing all these sounds around him. Yeah. And that you kind of make meaning of it because then it leads to the chorus. I just want to fly. Put your arms around me, baby. Put your arms around me, baby. I just want to fly. And then... You know, Super Cat's going to do his yeah. thing. And we mean this in the most loving way possible. I have no idea what Super Cat's saying. No, but... When he says, I want to fly, and he says, put your arms around me, is that to hold him down or to fly with him like Margot Kidder and Christopher Reeve in Superman 1? My understanding is that this was about a romantic sort of getaway. It's like, I want to fly. Put your arms around me, baby, because we're going to go away together. Yeah, my reading is... And I think like Mark McGrath talks about the Gilbert O'Sullivan influence of like these tragic lyrics with this like lilty song, right? And that that's what he was inspired for, for Fly, was to have this like very kind of tragic content and then it be juxtaposed with this very like light and bouncy Californian sound. That was sweeping the nation. Right. So my take being since influenced by Mark McGrath is that this is a tragic, very tragic person who has these really heavy feelings and he just wants to be swept away in love Mm -hmm. and fly away with this person. And, And it's about love's ability to kind of sweep you up and take you away from the the heavy stuff that holds you down on earth. Yeah. I want to say that Sugar Ray's fly and the term juxtaposition, that Venn diagram never came together until I started researching this episode and started to discuss this song. Yeah. That made no sense to me at all. That <laughs> Those two things, they existed in completely separate universes. But now it makes sense. I Yeah, but there's so much more to say. Yeah. But, uh, okay, we're going to get there. Okay. Verse two? Verse two. Verse two. Dance a little stranger. Show me where you've been. Say what? Okay. I love this lyric. Yeah. Dance a little stranger. Show me where you've been. So this is like, dance and show me what you've experienced. So this is a guy talking to his best girl in my experience or my lack of experience about she's been all these different places. She's experienced life. She's experienced culture. It's like, show me where you've been by your strange dancing from different cultures, right? Because it's not necessarily the California way of dancing that is sweeping the nation at the time. It's different types. 
Well, not yet. Like, wait till you see Mark McGrath dance in the music video, because... I have written here as a category bad dance moves to this song. (laughs) And so my question would be, would you do the airplane... Or would you do like a flap like a bird? Oh, I, I do. I or do would you seagull. do like really bad hip hop where you're like, I'm no. trying to show you how we can hip hop? Do you I, do the seagull? I do the seagull. I would do it like a broken winged seagull. Yeah. Kind of like Mark <laughs> McGrath. He's like into his, this like sweeping down kind of thing that he does. So like video. a shoulder roll. Kind it's of like it. shoulders. Yeah. 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 It's okay. a lot of shoulders. I've seen birds do this. It's a trap. They're going to bite you in the head. <laughs> <laughs> it's because their nest. Is, seagulls particularly. His nest was nearby. But am I wrong in that sort of reading of it? No, I, I got kind of the I same thing. Like it's that. like it's like when you meet and, and because of the time that this song comes out, the thing that I think of is like, you know, like school dances. And I don't know if you had this, but my school dances, we actually had other schools come to our school. Wait, to St. David's? To St. David's. Really? Yeah, yeah. And so to me, it was about, you know, you meeting a new person and they're not from your school. They're from a different school. It's that like exoticness that you can kind of just layer on them. How do you dance in Virgil? I don't know. How, how do... Well, you tell me. Because... I'm not from Virgil. No, because people people from other... Carolyn from, from Virgil. From Virgil. People from Virgil would have come to St. David's. Show me how you dance in Virgil. Like a broken wing <laughs> seagull. Frank, do you think anyone would ever say to us, dance a little stranger? No. <laughs> or they no, should no, stop. no, no. Not the way I dance. Nope. No. All right. Love can make you hostage. Want to do it again. All right, I hear Pat Benatar, Love is a Battlefield, and Steely Dan's Do It Again. There's No Time to Think, Bob Dylan song. About the starting or the end, we'll find out I'm told. My mother, she told me so. Dance a little stranger, show me where you've been. Love can make you hostage, want to do it again. There's no time to think about starting or the end. We'll find out I'm told. Back to his mom. Has in all the research that you did, Bill, because in the interviews that I watched, Mark never spoke about his mom. But I feel like there's got to be something there. There's something there. From what I gather, his dad was encouraging, and so was his mom. But I, I don't know which was more. His dad was like a numbers guy. So he did a lot of real estate sales, his dad did. But his mom, I think, was more encouraging. The mom is in the video. Yes, Why? that's right. All the all mom, their moms All are. their moms are in the video. Oh, yeah. Their moms are the, the booty-shaking women around the pool. No! Kayla, how'd you go there? No, they're the moms at the end that the, the, the station wagon goes back to see. And they're waving to them. <laughs> yeah, they all hug them and walk into the house together. Yeah, yeah. That's the end of the video. So his mom's still alive then. I heard an interview where he talked about his dad. No word of a lie. He said, oh, my dad, God rest his soul. (laughs) (laughs) So like, oh, he became the character. He's Gilbert O. I don't know. I think this last little bit is like, it's, it's it's love's ability, again, to take you away from sadness and potentially keep you there, I guess, if that, if the hostage thing holds true. And that you don't, you don't even think about you first see that person from from Virgil dancing strangely. <laughs> and People, Virgil was a weird place. You're not think you're not thinking about the consequences no. of what might happen if you if you dance with them. So I mean, we know that he's doing bits and pieces of the chorus in the studio. It sa- it sounds good to me. Like so, they, he's layered with the chorus, right? I just want to fly. Supercat, yeah. you're talking about. I'm talking about Mark McGrath. Oh, okay. So I feel like there's there's layers on it, and it is enjoyable to hear this chorus. Yeah, it is a fun chorus. 
Yeah, category here. Karaoke. Yeah. 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 So originally I was like, no, I wouldn't karaoke the song because you only, there's only really like the two verses and then it's like this repetitious thing and that would get really boring. But if you knew that, then you could just, it'd actually be a nice short karaoke and then you just, you know, do a little seagull with the broken shoulder dance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, For the rest of the song. Do it. And yeah. The only way I could do this with karaoke is if Bill agreed to do the super cat part for me. This is a slip of the curl. That was awful. That was just terrible. Were you expecting it to be good? <laughs> no. Or could you possibly have? Which fits in perfectly with my karaoke ability. All right. Yeah. So the song, it's a, it's pretty long. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, like the hardcore kind of part of it where they do the. There's the bridge. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, thank goodness for Supercat. That part of the song is very sublime also. Yes. Like that's the really influence of the of David Kahn there. Yeah. And he does give credit to David Kahn for kind of saving the songs. It's like there's his lyrics, he brings the verse, mm-hmm. there's that chorus, but David Kahn brings everything else that you actually like about it is coming yeah. from him. And his pro tools. Mark McGrath, he refuses to sort of build himself up. He plays this character. And it is a character. I really like him. The character that he plays is great. And so whenever you interview him, he says the same sort of thing, but he's like, he'll make fun of himself first. But I I wonder what the band feels about it, because he'll mock the band. But he is also the face of it. And so he was on Extra, right? Yeah. He was in Sharknado 2, 3, 4, and 6, I think. He was on Big Brother. He was on Big Brother. Yeah. He was on uh, Scooby-Doo 2. Father's, Father's Day, Day. That's which, right, yeah, which he yeah. thought would be a huge hit, turned out to be the worst thing ever. <laughs> and there's something so likable about him in every interview where he's like, we do nostalgia tours, he says, but the thing you'll never hear from any of us is here's our new song. <laughs> he says, no one wants to hear it. He goes, I like these guys. I don't want to hear their new songs either. <laughs> so he has kind of carved out a space where he is like the most likable guy. He did this at, right after Fly. Even though they seem like dirtbag rockers to me. And that's the thing, right? You look at them and they look like, I'm an unpopular guy. I am not going to like this particular person. But he's a fun dude. Except for that one moment. That moment. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's this moment. We know it. And he talks about it. He owns it too. The thing is, he owns even in the one moment where things went south. And his he, mom called him out on his it mom, too. <laughs> who isn't dead. Who isn't dead his at all. His mom who isn't dead called him out on it. Yeah. So, so I haven't actually watched it yet in honor of Mark McGrath. I didn't do it to him. But someone called him sugar gay when he walked out of a club. Yeah. And then he like lost his mind on whoever it was. Mm-hmm. But he said it was to protect the other people at the party who were gay. No. No. <laughs> you can't even I can't get do that out. So stupid. <laughs> oh. In every interview I've heard him, he's always given more info than he needed to about his life, yeah. and about his failings and shortcomings. Yeah. And he's never hyped himself up, but that is his brand. 
he got like sued by other people in the band for saying that he took first class flights when they didn't. But in the end, I don't know. He's Sugar Ray. He plays at state fairs, like he says. Yeah. He understands what the acts are that he does. He's doing well with it. He's staying part of the music industry that he loves. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I think I think he's he's winning at his life. He makes six figures with the uh, publishing rights to his songs a year. Yeah, just this song. And this is song is credited to like five to 15 people from yeah. what I can see. Or, yeah, exactly. So he's doing fine and he admits that and says cameo and publishing rights have helped him get through COVID. <laughs> do you think we should start a cameo account? I think so. And what is th- cameo other than word up? You don't know? No. Okay. Do you think we should have a toaster for our podcast? You could combine the two. It could be a toaster cameo. So you did you watch his cameos? No. For this? Did you, did okay. You watch? okay. I watched a couple. Oh, we have to tell we have to tell Frank what. Yeah, explain to me what cameo is because I am hey, so Dad. unhip. So cameo is where Bill pays. Who would you pay for to give a birthday greeting for Frank? Uh, Leland Scalar, the basis for um, Phil Collins, but seriously tour. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's so obscure. <laughs> does he have a cameo account? Oh, of course he does. does I've he? been all over. Okay, this. so cameo is uh, Bill pays that guy from Phil Collins' band to do a recording of oh, himself saying okay. "Happy Birthday to You." Or Wait, okay. um, does Carly Rae Jepsen have a cameo account? Because I would pay so much money for her to have a conversation with me. That's not what it is for. <laughs> No, 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 no. But I can splice it in. Hey, Carly Rae Jepsen, say the following things. And then I would record me saying things, and then we could have a conversation. And, and Carly Rae Jepsen would never have cameo ever again. But I would pay so much money for that. <laughs> you can pay him $4 to text you. You pay him 50 or 150 or $200 to send you a video message. Mm-hmm. So Mark McGrath, for interest's sake, he does a cameo where he fires somebody. Oh, serious? Wait, is it a real firing, though? Mark Who's McGrath. to say? Fly became better to me the more I've heard him Yeah, speak. Yeah, the more I dug into the band, the more I like this song. He's not like Brad Pitt on Growing Pains when Ben loved Brad Pitt's band, but then found out Brad Pitt was cheating on his wife and hated the music. Are you thinking Leonardo DiCaprio? He was on Growing Pains. No, no, no. Ben on Growing Pains loved a band that was fronted by Brad Pitt. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Called Thelma and Louise. (laughs) No. Oh. Unbelievable. Before we jump into the music video, I know the lyrics just jump back into the first verse again, but when that pops through and... This is a good segue, actually. ...conjoins into the video, the part in the video when he pops out of the pool, the way he sings that opening line, it feels so much different than the first time he sings it because he pops out of the pool in the video, all around the world, statues crumble for me, it's... Party time, fun, Mark McGrath, Sugar Ray. Yes. Yes. Right? I feel that. I yeah. feel that, actually. It, yeah. It just feels so much different. Does that, like... Yes. And it, But it makes sense in the point of the song. 
Yeah, right? in that like raspy kind of voice that he yeah. has. Yeah, and he po- and he pops out. Sorry, we're getting into the video for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Which he pops out of the pool and he whips his hair and all this water goes flying. And it's like, that's the thing that you have the girl doing in those pool videos, right? Yeah. And you spun it around and you have Mark McGrath doing it. And my 12-year-old heart just went ba-boom. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> The whole video is just a party time video. Do you know how he runs up the wall on the ceiling? I don't know. So the the whole room Science moves. Center. The whole yeah. <laughs> the whole room moves with the camera. God. So the camera spins and so does the room. It's the same as in uh, the Fred Astaire and that's a movie from the fifties where he ran up the wall. Oh and okay. Lionel Richie and Dancing with the Ceiling. Oh, okay, so that okay. that room is moving with the camera. In around the same time, you had Virtual Insanity by Jamiroquai come out with the room shifting and moving and he was dancing around it. Right. That was like bonkers crazy at the time. I don't know if you guys remember that. Was there like a fishbowl effect in that too? Because there's a, little bit, a yeah. little bit of a fishbowl thing happening in this video. Yeah. That felt like very much of the time that like I'm picturing things in my brain, but I don't know what they're referencing. Like album cover, maybe the Chumbawamba yeah. baby or something. Yeah, the, the fishbowl effect was kind of sweeping the nation at the time. <laughs> <laughs> We talked about the dancing around the room. That's kind of midway through the video. Yeah, the first part is like a more like a studio stage kind of thing. Yeah, they're yeah. playing. The band's playing. Yeah, like um, and it's like one of those nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties references, right? Where the band plays on, you get the lights and mm-hmm. yeah. Then it goes into the fishbowl living room. Yeah, and he runs around the 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 doing jumps and flips and all that. Because the other band members do the lip syncing, and then yeah. he does his thing. Yeah. And then they end up in the pool. Yeah. Well, no, then they first first they are like in a during the super cat bridge, they're in a car. In a yes, yes, yeah. that's and, right. And they didn't tell the producer because the producer knew the insurance wouldn't handle it. And then they got Mick G to film them on top of this car while the producer oh, wasn't really? looking. Yeah. Got this from uh, Pop Up Video. Okay. Which is the greatest thing on VH1 yeah. ever. Yeah. Pop up video. Thank you, Pop Up Video. Thank you, Pop Up Video. <laughs> Yeah. Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Mark McGrath just was holding to the, like the rack on the top of oh, the seriously? car, and they just filmed him while they were just driving around. Oh, jeez! And uh, when they're in the pool and they sunk down, they put in fifteen pound weights into their pockets so they could yeah. sink. No way! The original drummer drowned. <laughs> is this? Uh, is the? I think the pool thing is a Nirvana reference. It feels like it. I mean, they well, all love. Everyone wants to be Nirvana, and every and. I think because Nirvana was so surprising when it came out, they're just going to take a chance on everybody and hope something sticks. And Sugar Ray, to me, back then, like, these guys are posers at the worst. Exactly. That's I was what I thought. Wrong. Yeah. No, no, no. Absolutely. I know, but I thought I was right because Fly was the only single from an album that felt more hardcore. And I hated hardcore, whatever that even meant. Because the rest of the album was nothing like the yeah. song. But, man, they proved me wrong. I, I would like to hang with Mark McGrath. I think Mark McGrath should come to the Winchester at one point. Yeah, and hang out with us. Yeah. And the rest of Sugar Ray as well. Even Sugar Cat. <laughs> Super Cat. <laughs> Big Cat. With Big me, cat. Karen. With Karen. <laughs> Karen and Sugar Cat. They're releasing an album together. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> 
we know at the end of the video, all their mothers pick them up. Yeah. <laughs> at the house. Yeah. So the God bless her soul, she's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> at, the, at the house there. They hug their mothers and walk into this giant mansion together. All right, let's get to some categories. All right. All right. We are all over the place, and this is fantastic. (laughs) Okay. How do you envision Michael Bolton's cover of this song? Michael Bolton's version of this song, can you slow this down and croon it? I don't know. Michael Bolton can do whatever he wants. Well, yeah, absolutely he can. Michael Bolton is the Steven Seagal of the music world. (laughs) Hallmark movie. Would this song make a Hallmark movie? What's the theme of the song other than it's a juxtaposition? Tragic orphan finds love. Okay. Tragic orphan finds love in Connecticut while trying out for the Hartford Whalers, realizing that he's really a better point guard for the LA Lakers while he's surfing, because that's what Mark McGrath did, right? Yeah. How is he going to end up back in New Hampshire for the Hallmark movie? Because his mom dies. Yeah. And that's where his best girl lives. God rest her soul. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I mean his mom. Not his his best girl. His best girl. Okay. Next category. (laughs) What part of the song brings you joy? Oh, easily. Second time through the first verse when he pops out of the pool. All All around the world, statues crumble for me. That just, yep, absolutely. Kaylin, are you with that? Oh, I'm with that. I'm with that too. And as soon as you said, I'm like, all right, that's the best thing. I love the sound of his voice. David Cohn was right for that like 30 seconds that he grabbed his voice. That was good. I also, I think there's also a moment in Supercat's bridge where I think he says, or at least according to this lyric sheet, he says, it's drink a tea time on the borderline. And it's, it's right before that reprise of the the verse. I love Supercat's contributions. Yeah. I feel it's like critical to the whole thing. And I feel like we didn't necessarily do enough justice to Supercat, but Supercat is, as his name says, super. I mean, how would you do Supercat justice, though? You do an injustice if you try reading the lyrics. So mm-hmm. I think the only justice we can really give to Supercat is to encourage people to go and listen to the song and listen to Supercat's No, Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Did you bring mixtape to the table? Yes. Kaylin, let's talk about your mixtape. There's no need for a mixtape because... Big Shiny Tunes 2 did it for us all. What was on Big Shiny Tunes? So Big Shiny Tunes 2 was the best-selling Big Shiny Tunes. Went diamond. So Big Shiny Tunes 2 was Much Music's rock compilation album, even though, you know, you get things like Sugar Ray on there and Brand Van 3000. (laughs) Love Brand Van 3000. Yeah. What else was on that? Blur was on Big Shiny Tunes 2. Radiohead, probably the first time I heard Radiohead. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to that. Yeah. So I'm just going to very quickly go through Big Shiny Tunes 2, the lineup on that album. Yeah, do it. Breathe by Prodigy, Song 2 by Blur, Semi-Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind. Third Eye Blind also makes multiple appearances, I think, on Big mm-hmm. Shiny Tunes comps. Walking on the Sun by Smash Mouth, which is part of that California sound that was sweeping, sweeping the nation. Sweeping the nation. <laughs> Fly by Sugar Range, Supercat, Drinking in L.A., Numb by Holly McNarland. Beautiful People by Marilyn Manson. Oh, sorry. That was before Numb by Holly McNarland. Swallowed by Bush. Pushed by Mashbook 20, which is a terrible song in a terrible band. Precious Declaration by Collective Soul? Okay, apparently it's terrible. Temptation by The Tea Party. Block Rock and Beats by Chemical Brothers. My Old Self by Widemouth Mason. Paranoid Android by Radiohead. Remote Control by The Age of Electric, who became Limb Lifter. Mm. and Lady Picture Show 
by Stone Temple Pilots. All right. All right. There, there's our big shiny tunes, too. Yeah. All right, Frank, what do you got for a mixtape? All right. I have a theme that I'm going to let you guys figure out as I go along. So the song Fly by Sugar Ray and Super Cat, correct? Correct. This is going to be really difficult for you guys to figure out. The Stray Cats rock this town. Pussycat Dolls, don't you? Doja Cat, paint the town red. Def Leppard, pour some sugar on me. John Cougar Mellencamp, hurt so good. He can't see, but Bill is dying right now. And we finish it all off with Paula Abdul in DJ Scat Cats, Opposites Attract. <laughs> Can you guess what the theme of the mixtape uh, was? It's a, it's a mixtape for a pool party. Yes, absolutely. I went with songs that had rock and hop in it from the 90s. Oh, jeez. I like that you coined that term earlier in the episode, too. <laughs> and I kind of hated every song that I'm going to give. Well, yeah. All right. First one, What I Got, Sublime. Next one, Drive by Incubus. What It's Like, Everlast. One of the bigger hip-hop songs of the 90s, One Week by the Bare Naked Ladies. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> one Week by the Bare Naked Ladies. <laughs> And then the culmination of maybe music history, Butterfly by Crazy Town. That's one of your favorite songs. It is one of my favorite songs. I can't resist Butterfly. Then you need to look for the live performance of Mark McGrath singing Butterfly. (gasps) No way. Yes. Seriously? Yes. Mark McGrath is the best. Can we find that? Put that link in the show notes. For sure. For sure. I feel like we've gone through an incredible journey through the story of Sugar Ray, the deeper meanings of Fly. Can I say, just before we jump too much into this, the redemptive story of sugar yeah oh that's it that's it the redemptive story of mark mcgrath yeah really we didn't talk about anyone else no other than super cat but the bigger redemption story is kaylin holmes just earned her first year course pop music history from bill and frank's guilt-free pleasures wait who's kaylin is this certified (laughs) kaylin i know i'm not terrence cox but i'm gonna give you your credit for first year pop culture Music history. Thank you. Maybe now I can get all those jobs I've been applying for. That's right. Finally, you actually have an undergrad. (laughs) Uh, We want to thank you for joining us for our podcast. Thank you, Bill and Frank. Frank, I want to thank you for actually being on Bill and Kaylin's Guilt-Free Pleasures. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Bill and Charity. (laughs) So, Frank, if you ever feel left out of Guilt-Free Pleasures, just put your arms around us, baby. Put your arms around us, baby, because I know you just want to fly. This has been Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures, featuring Super Kalen Holmes. I read an article, and he said that one of his bigger influences was DBS's Breakfast at Tiffany's. 
I Frank hate I hate album. everything you just said. Everything. Uh,